Hi, everyone. I'm Shake. Welcome back to Humans of AI. This is a very special episode where we dive into the world of developer relations. Broadly defined, developer relations is the umbrella term for how technology creators interact with and build communities with end users. Right now, we're seeing an exponential growth in the number of AI frameworks, ecosystems, and tools, and fostering and managing developer communities has never been more important. Our guest today is Rex St. John, founder of Toroko Technology, someone who's been working on developer communities long before it was cool. Thanks for joining today, Rex. Really appreciate it. Uh, glad to be here. Absolutely. Uh, can you give us an overview of how you got where you are and what exactly developer relations means to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, my background is I originally started off with a degree in marketing. And then during the 2007 meltdown, I was at this startup doing cryptocurrencies, microtransactions, early form of it. And every single engineer got a job in a week, even at like the worst point of the recession. At that point, I decided I was going to learn to code. And then I got <laughs> consulting, mobile application, full stack frameworks, and then ultimately technical evangelism, uh, building developer relations programs at Intel, ARM, NVIDIA, most recently Saga, uh, on the Web3 side. So I've kind of got like a cross-section of AI, IoT, edge computing, software, you know, everything. So that's how I got here. And along the way, I have a lot of thoughts about uh, where things may, might be heading on the AI side. Yeah. Um, can you give a couple of examples of um, what makes a great developer relations community? Uh, uh, what works? <clears throat> On the community side, I, I think the biggest problem people have is they stand up a community and all the energy dissipates and dies away because everybody's launching a new community every other day. Like the second, you know, somebody raises funding, first thing they do is stand up their Discord and Telegram developer portal. And then developers might originally go in there and be excited. But if you're not able to keep up a cadence of releasing daily, hourly, minutely, you know, like having constant value. Uh, people will wander off and that's really hard to keep the momentum going. And if you're a startup, you probably don't actually want to do that, uh, take that on necessarily, unless you have the ability to actually service and create uh, e energy on a daily basis. So um, I have another talk, which I, I'm not going to go into here, but I basically think that people need to be very careful about how they anchor their community and in many cases, people are better taking a step back away from their own product and solution and saying, what's the higher good here? You know, and saying, let's find some friends that share this common purpose and see if we can't anchor in something that we collectively can do, deliver value on on a daily basis. So kind of like divide the load a little bit. And I think that's a better move for most startups and early phase companies than trying to maintain a discord where people will just wander off almost guaranteed they will. Um, uh, just a quick example might be something like the refi DAO, where they've based it based on uh, Gitcoin fundraising. They've based it on networking. They have a wide range of different branded activities across different time dimensions. They have a lot of partners. And it's kind of organized on a broader theme versus just one product in the refi community. So I always really liked and respected how the refi DAO did it. It's a smaller community, but they keep people engaged on a daily basis. And it's because they're rooted in like a common purpose versus like a single product in the ecosystem. I think the common purpose approach is a better way to anchor a community. 
makes a lot of sense. Um, with your experiences of seeing developer relations evolve over the years across multiple types of companies, um, looking at the landscape now, uh, how is developer relations and how you manage these communities changing with the prevalence of AI and a spike in different uh, technology companies uh, creating these? Um, so I'll just move ahead to, uh, so I'll just, um, let me just recap, you know, where things came from. Yeah. Um, great. When I got started, you know, um, during the 2000 era, when I, 2007 era ish, when I became a programmer, there was a really amazing entry point. If you're willing to put in the work, you know, open up a terminal, go uh, test out Ruby on rails. There are a lot of really creative and entertaining Ruby, Ruby books, Node was coming along, so and uh, the iPhone had just launched. So there's this really nice explosion in developer experiences, in the accessibility of being a developer, uh, especially a full stack front end developer, was better than ever. So I remember very distinctly, you know, I was in Capitol Hill teaching myself the program here in Seattle, and I joined a, an agency called Substantial, who's still around, and uh, they just had, you know, they were willing to take someone like me that was just sitting in a coffee shop teaching myself the code and, uh, you know, incubate me for a little bit, get me productive, put me with some other engineers and I could become a developer. And that's exactly what I did. Um, so I think this era from 2007 to 2023, I think it's, it's over now. And it was characterized by, you know, this interplay between people doing these full stack cross platform solutions like react native versus the mobile, the specialist developers, mobile iOS, Android, uh, rust, et cetera. And I think something has shifted in my opinion where I don't even know if what we're going to have is, I don't even know if you could call it developer relations anymore. Hmm. I, I think we're going to get something new. Um, so during this era, you know, the pri primary blockers that I face as a developer, like I can't speak for everybody, but you know, if, if I specialized in iOS, you know, a lot of people want to specialize in a particular framework because you got paid more. But at the same time, while you were specializing, it seemed like all these platforms and startups came along that were incentivized to try and attack the value of your speciality. So like React Native came along and they said, well, you don't need a native iOS developer who's a specialist. They're too expensive and hard to hire. Why don't you just hire web developers and, you know, they've got React Native and they'll do your mobile development and they'll do it across platform. So it's kind of like uh, interplay between the specialists and the cross-platform people and, and, and the web people uh, just kind of went back and forth. Uh, web was very unstable. It continues to be very unstable. Everybody's complaining about like how hard it is to choose how to, how to go about building a web front end. Um, multiple device targets. I mean, you have hundreds of Android devices with different screen sizes plus iPads and everything and different. And like figuring out how to handle that on a native and web based, you know, like that's, that's been a huge annoyance. It continues to be, um, and workspace fragmentation. I, I think this isn't even one that I was really cognizant of until I learned about Replit and, and like GitHub workspaces. Um, it takes hours for a developer to set up, uh, set up and configure their workspace on a weekly basis. In some cases, a new developer might take a long time to get up and running as part of a team. They have to install all kinds of stuff. And uh, workspaces across developers on the same team might be wildly different. So Replit kind of came along trying to solve this problem. Um, 
So I think like this kind of era of developer relations, I, I don't know if this is the future anymore. And it was pretty typical what I did. You know, I'd done this a dozen times at global scale for APIs at Mashery, uh, Web3, Asaga, you know, Silicon, Edge, Edge IoT at ARM, Intel, and NVIDIA. And if you throw up your documentation portal, you got some code samples, you do, you know, have the ADHD Asperger's developer relations person like me go and, and do lots of talks, maybe some developer influencer programs. And it was very technical waiting hmm. in nature. And I don't know if this is, um, I just don't, like, I just spent a lot of time thinking about this after seeing, you know, Amazon Code Whisper, GitHub Code, Copilot, Replit uh, is now giving away uh, AI tools for free, basically. And I, and I'm just playing around with stable diffusion. I don't know that we're, I don't even know if I, I want to call it developer relations anymore. Uh, I want to call it creator relations because the, these tools allow the concept of a full stack developer to just expand dramatically. It's like I could be a full stack developer plus a business person and artist. Um, so I think, I, my theory is kind of developer relations becomes creator relations or maybe ecosystem relations or something like that. Um, because uh, like the original division of skills for developers is kind of, I mean, this is probably not the most accurate thing in the world, but it was like you had the full stack generalists doing the front end, back end, you know, on the left. And then you had the specialist developers like game engine, cybersecurity, embedded systems, kernels, robotics. And then now I think this this kind of model, which, you know, this is loosely how, how I would think uh, between 2007 and 2023, I want to displace it with this model, which is uh, a full stack creator. And this is a designer, artist, musician, movie producer, you know, some some type of creative professional and this person has been like fed steroids. I mean, it's like, you know, you can do prompt engineering, low code systems. You know, you have all these generative AI tools to do videos, uh, open source AI. And it's like you can, these people can just create a, a million times more stuff than they could previously at a million times better quality. And that's only going to increase. And then in the middle of a full stack business creator, I mean, it's like, I was doing a research report on like cybersecurity and with chat GPT 4.0 with Bing enabled, I could just do web scraping in it. Just like, like I was asking it, give me the top 50 business, you know, give me the top 50 cybersecurity startups, rank them by fundraising and put links to their websites and, and do a short comment. And it just did it. <laughs> and I'm like, well, as a business person, that, I mean, that makes me a million times more productive. And then, on, then I have a technical creator. And I think this persona maybe is what developers turn into, where it's like, you know, you still look at the code. You still need to know how the code works because a lot of times, I, like, here's, you know, here's an example. It's like, no matter how good AI is, if the AI takes a look at your chest X-ray and says, pretty sure you have cancer, that, that you know, we give you six months and that's going to cost you $2 million. I don't think any human's going to accept that without a second opinion, <laughs> you know, and the same is true of code is like you can AI generate all kinds of stuff, but someone's going to have to check it at some point. And that, that person that checks it might be the end user 
and they have to report it to someone that says, hey, there's something messed up here. Um, so I, I've got this technical creator, and I think this technical creator might take the place of the developers and maybe developer relations people, ecosystem people take over these different personas. Uh, I, I've kind of talked a lot. Do you have any, do you have any comments about this? Yeah, yeah. I, I love the term uh, creator relations there. I think it's very accurate and almost uh, uh, makes it a lot more accessible too. With um, uh, diving into that term uh, a bit more, um, looking at the full cycle of creating, obviously there are many ways that different industries do this, looking across the entertainment industry in, in particular. Are there any things from other industries and how sort of talent is managed and uh, uh, encouraged that you'd um, love to see included in a, a technical ecosystem? I think like you're pulling on a thread that is just like huge because this, this new, like these new personas um, as in the 2007 era when like coding boot camps became a thing. I mean, you saw a lot of people that were like lawyers and doctors that quit being yeah. like, or like Wall Street finance people that were like, this is awful. I want to be a programmer. And they would go through a boot camp, learn to code. And then they would come out as like a new type of worker, which is like this full stack, you know, developer. And a lot of people went through that. I did that. You know, my background was marketing. I was like, I don't like marketing. I could get paid more to be a developer. I'm going to do that. So I think we're in this, we're in the exact same kind of period right now as that 2007 to 2010 period, which is the learn to code era when that was like so leveraged. I mean, like I just, when I learned to code, I was able to like increase my salary like 30% a year for like year over year over year over year. Cause it just, it just kept being a great skill. I think we're in the learn to create era where it's like, <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, if I'm a company or an agency and, or I'm running a typical web two era company, I'm looking at my entire workforce. Let's say I've got 130 people and I'm going, uh, the profile of these people is probably going to need to be different. Like the people I want, if I've got 30 people, 10 people, five people, and I think there's a new profile emerging, which is kind of like this. It's like the full stack creator, either, you know, with some business or technical or art skills or music skills. And I think companies are going to need to radically, like the companies that are successful are going to have a radically, going to be staffing a radically different profile. And those people are going to have to go through some kind of training, I would think, because yeah. there's hundreds of tools. Like I've got lists I was looking at with thousands of tools. Like a lot of them are junk. Some of them are good. Some of them are worth learning. And if I'm a company over the next three years trying to plan, I'm like, my whole workforce has got to got to get upgraded. <laughs> so I don't know the answer, but I think everyone's yeah. going to go through that pretty soon. Well, that's fascinating. And as it becomes easier to um, become a great developer, what do you think changes about how that developer stands out? Is there a change in uh, what's posted on GitHub repos, what portfolios look like, how job interviews occur? Any thoughts on that? Um, that's such an interesting point because 
when I look at Hugging Face and Civite, uh, I'm probably going to mangle this here. Let me try and pull this site up. <laughs> I'll try and pull it up without like um, Civite. I mean, uh, here, let me share. So I've been I've been spending some time with um, built running Stable Diffusion locally mm-hmm. on my Mac. And this, when I look at Civite, I probably just, Civ, Civit AI, like, I don't know how to pronounce it. But this is, Hugging Face and this, they're like GitHub for artists, in my opinion. Because they're just holding repositories of these models. And I go on here and I can download, you know, some asset. This is, a, I don't know what it is. It's a Laura, which is like a, I can't remember what a Laura is exactly. It's like a, a thing you can add to Stable Diffusion to add a different styling to how things look. Mm-hmm. So there's whole repositories of these things and they're all files to download and, they're, and they're, they all have versions. Like this one doesn't have different versionings. But, and, and then like you can hover and see how this was constructed. And I mean, this is this is not that far from almost like a Ruby, ma- like Ruby on Rails manifest file where you'll see this Laura specified and this just reminds me of Ruby on Rails where you'd specify a gem. You'd say, oh, my Ruby on Rails projects replies on depends on this login gem. So you're seeing artists, the, the workflow for artists is more and more resembling Ruby on Rails, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And these 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 manifest files are, are gonna I and I think you're gonna see a replication of what happened with like Node.js, where you've got a whole bunch of Node.js. Uh, packages in a repository and you have a manifest file and you specify like all this stuff is just going to be somebody's somebody is probably going to build a Ruby on Rails uh, framework for this they probably already have I just am not aware of it because you're going to want to version this and pull in different you know packages and then like refine it this is primitive to what to where I think it's going to go but I think I think being an artist is going to look like Ruby on Rails pretty soon uh, in my opinion interesting interesting yeah I Going back a bit, uh, you mentioned um, the prevalence of different types of tools and wanting to potentially retrain employees if your uh, company wanting to keep up here. Let's say as you uh, build your team, do you have a a list of tools that you'd recommend people invest their time to learn? Um, I can't even go like I'm in a very, very heavy research phase. And I, I think w- w- the the more I look at this space, the more astonished I am. And the more I feel like 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 I think rewinding your question, it's like if I'm a knowledge worker in this moment right now, what is the single most productive use of time that I have? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think the best use of time is to like roll up your sleeves and go download stable fusion and start like pushing like <laughs> to to their GitHub or something like or, or, or becoming or getting a PhD in AI. Like that just doesn't seem like the best use of time because by the time you've done that, I mean it's like three years from now, uh before you ship anything. I, I just like now is the time to just be in hyper research mode and just be curious and just go and and like follow a bunch of people on Twitter that are posting this stuff and just, you know, spend 
30 minutes a day, just lightly just looking at this stuff and, and rebuild your Twitter feed, re X feed, your LinkedIn feed, follow the right people and just let them, because you're going to need constant training on this just to stay somewhat informed. So I think the single best use of time is to rebuild the people you follow so that you're just getting it organically every day and just do yourself a favor. And I'm, I'm like trying to figure out how to use my time right now. And the only thing I could come up with is like, I think this, this is a period of time where research is super leveraged because there's so many new, you know, like this is a list of the new developments that I'm tracking. It's not even complete. Like I, I think I would have added a uh, multimodal mo- models to this is like the new one. And uh, these are all the things that I'm watching right now. And I, I'm just, I, I'm just, I just compiled this deck and I just sent it to some people. I'm going to keep tuning it and updating it as I see new things. But uh, in, in, in terms of things that like, I think have high potential, like uh chat GPT four just added the ability to run code directly in chat GPT and you can upload files to it. So I'm like, I don't know, like, is this going to displace IDEs altogether? Like you're just going to do coding, you know, this is kind of nice because it's like, it's like pair programming with chat GPT plus you can run the code and upload files. So I don't know what this is going to do. Like this is going to probably have a major impact. You know, I don't know if people are going to use IDEs anymore or, or, or they might use IDEs in a different way. But, um, so, so this is a huge development and this is recent. Like this is, this is within, I think within the last couple of months, so we're seeing revolutionary changes to how productivity as a developer happens in real time. And it's like, it's hard to even stay on top of this. Um, a lot, I, I, I see a lot of discussion of prompt engineering. Like I don't have an opinion. Like some people say it's dead and it's like only a temporary time period. Other people are like, oh, you can make 200 grand a year as a prompt engineer. I, I don't know where it's going to fall. I kind of like the idea that uh, maybe it ends up being more similar to Ruby on Rails than anything. Yeah. Um, but probably a much more productive version of Ruby on Rails. Um, yeah. These agents and multi-agent systems. I mean, this is this is new and it's a conversation that's moving incredibly fast. Microsoft just introduced this autogen thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like the idea that um, I think one of the shortfalls of ChatGPT is it doesn't have this context awareness and it's like scheduling and a few other things that you might want. So you're kind of constructing a primitive little brain here by having a memory and a context. And then like, even I'm seeing people do things like generate different personalities. Like I'm going to generate a board of advisors and one person's an engineer, one person's a philosopher, the other person's a designer. And they're going to give me advice about how I should spend my time every day. And like this kind of multi-agent system. I mean, this is, this is moving incredibly fast. Oh. Chaining prompts, like combining prompts together with agents. And, and like, is that going to be a visual interface? Kind of like Node Red. I'm seeing a lot of tools tr- trying to do these visual interfaces. A lot of the ones I tried, you know, were not that compelling. Uh, the ability to template prompts. Again, this is kind of like, in my mind, this templating thing just reminds me of Ruby on Rails again. Because like, one of the big deliverables of Ruby on Rails is it like, one developer be a front end and a back back end developer at the same time, and it let you template your web UI. And now people are templating prompts in the same way that people were templating web UI before. Where like 
you know, the the output of the AI gets injected into this template once it's done. So it's kind of like this Ruby on Rails full stack prompt engineer uh, personality. Low code and no code automation. I mean, like Zapier and like uh, I saw this one, N8N.io, Stack AI, Vellum. I'm seeing a lot of these where you can just kind of chain stuff together. So this is just enabling that business person to be way more productive, you know, like skip the engineer if you want to do web sweeping <laughs> and a lot of tools like this. Um, huge developments in AI and generative coding, like on a daily basis. Replit just enabled like uh, free access. To, I, I think Replit AI, like whereas some of these others are, are, are charging for it, Replit says, mm-hmm. I think that's free now. Um, that just happened like last week, I think. So that's a huge development that that's just, oops, Hmm. people developing whole applications with a single prompt. I mean, we're seeing that now. It's like, Hey, make me a snake game. And it's like, here's a whole working snake game. And then with chat GPT vision, like you could show it a picture of a calculator and say, code this for me and it will do it. You could show it a picture of Wordle and, and say, code this for me and it will do it. So it's like, I have no idea where that's going to lead. <laughs> um, yeah. Huh. yeah well, okay. so. Going back to your um, your uh, recommendation on um, really just I- I- investing in, in the research side and um, making sure you're curating the people that you follow, could you share some examples of the people and news sources that you follow yourself? Any particular podcasts or new- newsletters that you'd recommend? No, <laughs> I mean, I just, I just click follow and like mass follow on X. I don't yeah. even know who's in there. It's like, I mean, it, it feels like there's a million people doing this. Yeah, and it's kind of yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, there's so many people doing it that are doing it better than me. So like, <laughs> they're all over Twitter. I mean, they're all over the place. It feels like. Okay, all right. Good to know. Um, uh, changing gears a bit. Uh, tell us more about the projects you're up to at Taroko and uh where does the name come from uh the name comes from uh there's this gorge in Taiwan and Taiwan has a huge number I think it's over 100 mountains that are like 10,000 feet or higher so it's it's a small island but it's incredibly mountainous and these people I don't know when that could have been 100 years ago or something they decided they were gonna like put a train through or a road right through the middle of Taiwan. And to do that involved basically just a lot of dynamite and like, you know, chisels <laughs> and like, that's about it. So they dug this, uh, through this mountains, like through the middle of Taiwan. And a lot of people died doing that. I mean, it was, it was an unsafe activity at that time for sure. And to this day, it's incredibly unsafe because, you know, I went with my wife and family we drove through there and like the road work to keep that go- that road and train operating, like the, the cliffs are so steep that they're having cave-ins all the time and rock slides all the time. So it's unbelievably dangerous. So they built this, like the reason I came up with this Taroku logo and Taroku name is I re- in the middle of the gorge, if you drive through, uh, they built this waterfall temple like in the middle of the gorge and to commemorate all the people that died. And it's, it's like this really unique uh, temple. So I just like my, my logo is based on that. And I love that, that concept of like, you know, uh, 
the amount of uh, willpower people are willing to to put towards doing <laughs> hard things. So that, that that always stuck with me. So that's kind of so. What am I working on uh, right now? I'm doing very heavy research and development on what the future of developer relations is going to be. Uh, I've learned a lot about AI, IoT, Web three, and I continue to learn. And my concept here is I'm going to advise uh, CEOs, highly innovative companies on how to adapt their marketing, developer marketing, creator marketing, by trying to think six months, 12 months ahead through some of these challenging problems and and like trying to narrow it down to like specific recommendations. Like here's what you actually should be doing right now or thinking about because we're at a time period where the amount of change is so shocking that I think people are going to need research like this to make sound decisions. Because if your head's down doing, you know, your current business, uh, you're going to get blindsided by by the stuff that's coming, and it's happening so quickly. So I wanted to try and provide people with that research. Sounds awesome. Along those lines, and my um, last question for your your ex is: Let's say I'm really fascinated by this uh, space of creator relations, and I'm looking to switch career directions. Um, how would one get started in in the, in the field? What types of things should I be looking for? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> um, I am I am struggling with this myself because uh, I was a, I was a software developer, so I have some of the skills. Thankfully, some of the skills are still pretty relevant today. But then you add into it this whole mix of like you know AI specific skills. I don't. Like initially I looked at this and I was like, should I go buy some textbooks about how like large language models work and like start reading academic papers? And I'm like, I just feel like there's armies of Stanford PhDs and Berkeley PhDs from all over the world that are just like going to war to be the best at that. And as a, just a business professional, I don't think I'm going to win that. And (laughs) I like, I'm like, I think on some level it's like, I don't need to know how like the iPhone uh, chip and security works. You know, I just want to use the apps to do productive stuff. So I think just of like just testing out chat GPT and trying to integrate it into your workflow slowly and the $20 a month fee for chat GPT four and then enable Bing and plugins. I mean, if you do that, you're probably just way ahead. I mean, that's already a hundred X thousand X leverage over not doing that. And then it's just like, I, I like. I think that's the base thing. Just like pay the twenty dollars for Chat GPT four, turn on Bing, and start playing around with it. And uh, if you want to use a code interpreter, then like something like that. Beyond that, uh, unless you're a developer um, or an artist, I, I guess it depends on what you want your character class to be. <laughs> like the business person, I think Chat GPT just does almost everything if you've got the the plugins enabled. Um. So yeah, I mean, like it, it's a hard question. Okay, well, I'll I'll ask you that question again in a couple of months and we'll see where we land. I, I think from what I'm seeing, a lot of people seem convinced that the open source AI tools and frameworks and libraries are going to uh, expand exponentially. I think that's a good bet. And I think we're going to see a race here between open AI and the closed models and the open source community. And kind of like w- with AI... Uh, people are saying, expecting the open source versus closed source dynamic to repeat itself. 
you know, the Microsoft versus the Linux versus, uh, I don't know if that's going to apply in AI because it feels like if, if OpenAI releases this next generation model, I think they're calling it Arrakis, and they get to a point where they can automate everything far faster and get, and so I, I kind of wonder if like that, maybe that dynamic may not repeat in AI because of just the nature of AI. It's like whoever gets to the next step first wins it all. Whereas Microsoft, you know, got got caught by all these open source people that innovated faster. Who knows? Interesting. For for any uh, listeners who are inspired by this and want to um, connect with you, what's the best way to find you online, Rex? I'm on Twitter at Rex St. John, R-E-X-S-T-J-O-H-N, and on LinkedIn at the same thing. I mean, that's that's pretty much all I use. Cool. Well, Rex, this has been a super informative uh and great conversation. Uh, thanks for taking the time to join and sharing about your world. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. This podcast is brought to you by H10. Part about advanced technology that never changes is the need for the right people to design, build, and manage it. H10 offers just that with an on-demand talent and management service that covers all aspects of engineering, program management, and AI. Trusted by over 400 companies, including half of the Fortune 10, H10 is here to help lighten your load and make you the hero. 